when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sins, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was, there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace in his gift of forgiveness to many through whom this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin Led to, the, led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, for all who receive it will live and triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God in new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Yeah. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Dear Lord, with all the faithful, let us pray to you. We pray for those who are hiding in times of trouble. For those who are surrounded, sorry, with all the faithful, let us pray to the Lord who is hiding, who is our hiding place in times of trouble, who surrounds us with glad cries of deliverance. We pray for all who are hungry, whether hungry for power and glory or hungry for a simple meal. Show the mighty that you alone can satisfy their deepest need and feed the poor from the abundance of your good creation. We pray for the church in times of trial, whether tested by tempestuous change or tempted by safety of the status quo. Give us peace, God, when anger and fear threaten to divide us and challenge us when we are too comfortable in this world. We pray for leaders in high places, whether determined to help those who suffer or distance from the cries of the oppressed. Open their eyes to see your saving power at work and open their ears to hear your prophet's call for justice. Lord God, instruct us in the way we should go and let your steadfast love surround us always. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you again for being here and thank you for joining us and worshiping with us this morning. Today marks the first Sunday of Lent. Um, if you are not really familiar with the tradition of Lent, Lent is an ancient, ancient tradition that the Christian church throughout the world has practiced. And we mark 40 days of remembrance and preparation for Easter Sunday. So as of last Wednesday, which was um, Ash Wednesday, 
we are 40 days away from Easter. Isn't that crazy? I feel like I'm just now still getting used to 2023 when I'm writing down. I still want to put 2022, but we're already talking about Easter. And I love the season of Lent because it is a reminder and something to look forward to. Not dissimilar to how Advent reminds us that we are four Sundays away from uh, Christmas Sunday, right? So for the next 40 days or so, the church, us, were invited to enter into this place, to use a word from our prayer this morning, into this wilderness, just like Jesus went out to the wilderness and was tempted. We invite you to consider what does Easter Sunday mean for you and for your relationship with God and how you are actually living out Easter Sunday on your everyday life. A lot of Christians for Lent uh, give something up as a form of fasting, if that's something that you would like to try or you're doing, we encourage you to do that. Sometimes we can instead add something else as a form of remembrance. Maybe it's a gratitude practice, a blessing practice, uh, a reading a psalm a day practice. Or maybe you decide that every Friday you're going to give $10 to the poor or you know whatever you want to do. But whatever you choose to do, whether you're adding or taking away, our hope is that this next 40 days would be a time of renewal for us. So continue to pray for our church, for ourselves, and um, for the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us for Easter and in preparation for Easter. We are continuing as part of our Lenten series, we're continuing to focus on the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> I am going a little bit away from the um, the the lectionary, which would have us actually in Matthew 4 today, but we're still in Matthew 5. Thank you, a huge thank you to Elaine, who, who preached last week. If you were here, I heard she did an amazing job. She's not here today, but thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Will, who preached the previous Sunday. Um, we're so thankful for all the different teachers that we have in our church, especially during this time. Um, Will preached through verse 37, so I'll pick it up right there, verse 38. We have that. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 38. There we go. Thank you. I know I went all the way to the middle <laughs> of, the, of what I had there. <laughs> you have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And God sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you back, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt government workers do that much. 
If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect or complete or mature as your Father in heaven is perfect. Today's reading for us is quite challenging, isn't it? I see Will's grin, and I see him, I'm almost saying, I'm glad I'm not preaching this one. <laughs> I'll say what I, was, what I said the first time we were preaching through the Sermon in, in the Mount, and that is that one of the temptations for us is to get stuck with this idea of the Beatitudes, right? What, is it, what does Beatitude mean? Beautiful. Beautiful, right? That they're just beautiful sayings. They are, in fact, beautiful, but they're more than beautiful. There are our manual for right behavior. There is no other passage in scripture that directly from the lips of Jesus tells us how to behave as Jesus-y people, right? As Christians in as Christian people. This is it. For us, the Sermon of the Mount is going to be super important because it is our our manual for right behavior, and our manual for Christian ethics. If you want to know what Jesus would have done or said about something, starting in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a good place to start. And often, the teachings are so beautiful, and almost so outlandishly beautiful, that we choose to do what many of us have done, and my grandmother surely did, we embroider them, into these things, and we beautifully hang them in our walls, but do not actually take time to discern them, and listen to them, and internalize them, and act on them. I think these two things that Jesus is saying here about revenge and love for our enemies are seriously important for the ministry of Jesus in our ministry. Not only because of how applicable they are for us today, and we'll talk about that in a second, but also because Jesus truly exemplified this. Jesus actually loved his enemies. He actually gave his other cheek. He actually blessed those who actively persecuted him. He did not stand his ground. And he lost his life for it. This, this passage is specifically challenging for us. It is for me. Because the last thing I want to do is to let someone else just run all over me. It's true. Right? It's true. The last thing I want to do is to hurt and to suffer. And in fact, a lot of us have gotten really good at fighting back. And I get it. Life can sometimes be really, really hard. And we're left with what seems like no other option but to fight back. So it's complicated. But Jesus taught us the way of Jesus. And this is the way of Jesus. Let's start back with, with uh, verse 38. He starts by quoting Levitical law. He says... The law says that the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
Before we go on to think that, that this is super, super archaic, and it kind of is, if it's Levitical law, you're talking about maybe a thousand years before his, his time. Um, one of the things that this Levitical law is actually doing, it is producing some kind of a just justice system. It is putting some breaks into the system, right? And I see this a lot with maybe young children, where sometimes someone is, you know, they're playing or whatever, and someone accidentally maybe scratches someone else or pushes someone else. And then the older brother or the older cousin or the older sibling just comes and kind of starts beating them up, right, for over something very small. And you're like, well, wait a second. It was just an accident. It was just a bump. You don't need to, like overreact in that way because your brother or your sister just bumped you accidentally. This is one of the things that the Mosaic law, that the Levitical law is trying to do here. It is actually trying to put a little bit of a stop and a breakage into what was happening in their society and to actually try to eradicate some of that violence, right? It is not necessarily a saying that if someone has punched you, go to your neighbor's uh, house and punch them back. That is not necessarily what it is saying, but it is saying that if someone has hurt you, then can we find a way to actually compensate you for the hurt that you have suffered, right? So in many ways, this is one of the first steps that we have for restorative justice. Justice where we restore each other. And it starts by understanding that we have damaged others, trying to survey and make an inventory of what, how large that dam damage was, and then trying to see how can we actually make that restored, clean, whole, right? And you can spend a lot of chapters in the Levitical Law that actually tell you exactly how to do this. If this and this happens, that's going to cost you one cow and one chicken. And if this and that happens, then there's going to be actually some grain and some rice and, and two chickens. And the, you actually see this recipe in the Levitical law, which again is trying to establish some kind of reciprocity where the punishment is actually fitting the damage done. And to a certain extent, it was working. But then Jesus comes in and he says, actually... Do not resist an evil person. I find how I find Jesus' language here really interesting. Do not resist an evil person. One of the things that we that we see is that Jesus actually did this in his ministry. We surely see it, especially towards the last week of Jesus' life. He did not resist Judas, even though he knew that Judas was about to betray him. He did not resist the kiss. He knew that kiss was not a real kiss, was not a friend kiss. It was a kiss of betrayal. He didn't resist the king who brought him in for judgment, or the high priest who also condemned him. He didn't resist the soldiers who were beating him and judging him. 
And he didn't resist his own disciples who abandoned him in the very last week. All but one, they all fled and they hid. He didn't resist them. I think this is such a powerful saying. And it's even more powerful. Do not resist an evil person because Jesus lifted out and exemplified it. And then think of that word, resist. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had to have a, a like difficult conversation at work or with a family member or with a neighbor or with someone that is just driving you nuts and up the wall, what do you do and what does your body do? You resist it, right? We resist talking to evil people and maybe just to bring it down a notch to just people that drive us nuts. We, we resist the conversation. We resist the interaction. Sometimes that resistance happens in the middle of it. Sometimes afterwards where you're like, wait, did he actually say that? And now I'm resisting it even though I wasn't resisting it then. And sometimes it happens even ahead of time. Ugh, I have to talk to so-and-so. And you're already resisting it, right? There's something really interesting that happens in our physiology where your brain actually is imagining you having that hard conversation and it tricks your body into actually thinking you're in the middle of the conversation and we start exuding cortisol hormones and adrenaline. So if you were to test, and we have in, in social labs, the, the, the blood samples of people who are stressed out and resisting others in that very moment, their fight or flight reaction is at an all time high. They are ready to either leave or fight or freeze. Mm -hmm. In their body, their hormonal level changes are such that your body is resisting it. You're ready to fight or you're ready to flee. And we see it in our neck. We see it in our jaw, we see it in our back, we see it in our mind, and we're constantly resisting this person. We're thinking about them. We think about them when we go to bed, we think about them in the morning, we think about them when we're jogging or talking or doing something else. In this resisting, one thing that it does is that the conversation either hasn't happened or already happened, or may never happen. <laughs> but in your body, and in the bodies of those around you, just ask them, <laughs> you're acting as if it was happening right now. You're resisting it. Your body resisted. Your soul is resisting it. Your mind is resisting it. I think it is so important that Jesus says, do not resist it. Do not fight it. Don't tense yourself up against it. I think one of the things that Jesus is actually telling us is really practical. This is both really theological, but also really practical for everyday life. If you have anyone like this in your life, and often these are people that are close to us, right? It's not like the random person that just kind of walks by that you don't know who they are. You've never seen them. You're not normally resisting them. It is, it is the people around you that you resist. And let's be clear. Some of these people have hurt you. 
and have caused great harm. And there is actually really good reason for this resistance. But Jesus says, do not resist them. And I think there's a couple reasons why. One, if you think about it, if you really, really think about it, put your mind to it, there is nothing that anyone can actually do to offend you. What? An offense is something that we actually pick up and own it, isn't it? Right? The things that a three-year-old says versus the things that a 30-year-old says, they can say the exact same thing, but we won't take offense to the three-year-old saying it. Well. <laughs> Depends. An offense is something that you actually choose to pick up. Oh, he said that, she said that, I'm going to grab it, I'm going to take it with me. It's my offense now. I am owning it. I am identifying with it. I am carrying it with me. I am nurturing it. It's alive. It's here with me when I'm thinking about it. And it's with me when I'm in bed, when I can't fall asleep. And it's in me when I'm mad at someone else. And it reminds me of that offense that I'm carrying with me. And I am picking up and identifying with it. I'm attaching myself to it. Furthermore, I'm attaching you to the offense as well. Oh, that person. Oh, yeah. He said this and this and that about me the other day. And everything about that person becomes around that offense. If we actually think about it, if you don't want to be offended, you're not. Right? We tell our kids this all the time. Don't listen to other, what the kids are saying in the playground. Don't pick up the offense. Don't give them an opportunity to actually engage in, 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 in the attention that they want. Don't listen to them. But we have a hard time doing that for ourselves. Yeah. Right? It's true. When, if you think of a three-year-old that takes offense to someone sticking their tongue out at them, sometimes we're not that dissimilar, are we? And let me be clear, I, I am not talking about capital T trauma situations. There is certainly offenses that are just indisputably, irremarkably evil and wrong. And that, that's different. But I'm talking about maybe the, the offhanded comment, maybe the, the wrong tone, uh, or maybe just maybe someone has a little bit of sharpness around them that they're still working out to kind of soften in them, right? And when we pick up this offense, we're not that different than the three-year-old who's like, Mom, she stuck her tongue out of me. Do not resist an evil person. And then he goes on to say, if someone slap you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. That's hard. I don't want to. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get hurt twice. I think one, again, this is super complex. One of the things that this is telling us is that you're willing to stay in community with that person. It is not once and you're done type of relationship. Imagine if every single time anyone did anything just 
mildly offensive to you, you would say, I'm done. By the way, you can and some of us have. And again, these are, these are things that we're working out for many, many reasons. But if we want to be in community, your cheeks are going to get slapped. Not literally. But you will be offended. More than once. I, again, I, I, sometimes I feel like the most awful salesman up here. This is what I'm selling to you. A community where you will be offended. You right? will get hurt, but you got to stick with it. Once and maybe twice. Because this is part of living in community. And it is so scary. And it is not easy. And it is the way of Jesus. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that we should receive people's offenses and not do anything about them. That's not what I'm saying. We should call them out. And we should say, I always teach my students at work, the ouch and the oops principle. Right? If you made an oops, you say, oops, I am very sorry. I should have not said what I said. And if something hurt, you say, ouch, what you just said hurt. Right? It's the oops, the oops and the ouch principle. Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. There is this idea here of almost shaming your oppressors by saying, hey, you want to take this? Why don't you just take everything and leave me out there half naked? And kind of bringing that harm to them so that they would see the harm that they are causing if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry you two miles. What you're doing is you're saying, your offense, I'm not attaching to it. Let me dance around it. You think you're going to offend me by, by asking me to walk a mile? Let me show you that I can walk two miles and that you're not offending me. The opposite is, and I'm the captain of this. The opposite is, I take offense and I haven't even walked a feet, a foot, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the difference between mature, vibrant spirituality and weak, anemic spirituality. We take offense and we haven't even walked a foot. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 go the two miles. Because your oppressor's actions do not identify you. You are not the offense that they're hurling against you. Imagine if Jesus took this offense every time he was accused of being a drunkard. Every time he was accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd and the wrong people. He didn't. He just doubled down. Can I amen that? He just had more hangouts with the wrong crowd. He didn't care. Because his identity was not dependent on what the Pharisees said of him. Secondly, we know this. We know this time and time again in history. Resisting evil doesn't work. Violence begets violence. Violence is never a vehicle or a means for peace. And... I will say, again, this is so complex, and we can spend Sunday after Sunday talking about this. At the international level, 
we have uh, obviously a huge war going on right now in Europe and, and it's really, really complicated. But Jesus is telling us that violence does not beget peace. Only peace can beget peace. And we have to pray for peace. Internationally, nationally, and in our interpersonal relationships. If you look at the history, just, just take a quick survey of history. Most of the movements that happened because of violence might have stopped for a while, but given five years, 10 years, 20 years, there's violence again. Given one generation, there's violence again. Look at World War I and World War II. World War II happened 100% because of the consequence of the violence of World War I, right? And it continues on and on and on. And maybe that is such a big difference between the, the peaceful movements of, of Gandhi in India and Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu in South Africa that were made and based on peace, not violence. And they're different. God's call for us is to worship the Prince of Peace, to preach the gospel of peace, and to be children of peace this is hard and i do not have an answer to what happens when a big country invades your country and you haven't done anything wrong i don't have an answer to it in fact i think that the wrestling of it the thinking about it the meditating on it the taking a pause and not knowing exactly where god sits on every single side that is a mark of discipleship. Asking for God's wisdom. Waiting for God to show us the way of peace. And praying for peace. Jesus said, Love your enemies. It's hard sometimes to love our enemies. It's really, really hard to love our enemies. And I want to say, oh, I'll, I'm going to love all my enemies except for those ones, right? Those ones cross the line. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as two children of your Father in heaven. Lastly, I'll finish with this. So what do you do when your enemies are persecuting you and being evil against you? I think the one thing that we do is we, we literally pray for them and we pray a blessing for them. A blessing of peace, of grace, and we mention their name. When your neighbor X or Y is being ridiculous, instead of ruminating with these thoughts and resisting them, mention their name and pray a blessing over them. There is this ancient blessing in Deuteronomy Let's say your neighbor is Vicky or Sally or whoever. Pray a blessing over Vicky. And you can just say, Vicky, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face over you. May God be gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Pray over them. Pray over the people that drive you nuts. Pray over 
international wars, that there would be peace, and that God would shine blessing over all countries on earth. Um, I won't have time to fully go into this, but I love that he says, for God gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. I am convinced that the sunlight that we get, especially on the cold, dark days, <laughs> that's for me. I want it just for me. I don't want it for the people that drive me insane. I don't want it for the oppressors, for the evildoers. I want it for me. And Jesus says, no, God's grace is for everyone. The evildoer and the good. And let me tell you something. I'm so glad that's the case because I like to think that I'm always the good duder, but I'm not. I am also the oppressor of others. I am also the one who drives other people insane. It's a good thing that God's sunlight is shining over the evil and the good because I don't know if I would get it if it was just the good. I'm not always good. I don't always behave right. I don't always do the right thing. My challenge for you this morning is to do exactly that. If there's anyone that, 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 that you think of, anyone or anything that you have been resisting in the last week or two, anything, any one person, any one situation that when you think about it, that cortisone enters your body and that adrenaline enters your body and you can immediately get into that fight or flight mode, that we will pray a, a prayer of blessing over them and over us. So I want to invite you to do that right now. If you can think of anyone, think of that or any situation. If you cannot think of anyone, that is fine. Think of, think of yourself, or your family members, your loved ones. Just in your mind, say their name. Just say, God, may you bless them and keep them. May you guard them and protect them. May you shine your grace on them. May you give them grace and peace. Let us pray. Father, we want to be this peaceful community that's loving our enemies. It is so hard to figure out how to be a peaceful community in such a complicated world. And I don't pretend to have the answers. God, we pray for peace. This whole time I was thinking of the war happening right now in Europe. We pray for peace for those families and those soldiers. We pray, God, that, that your church will bear witness. We also pray for peace within our own lives and our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. We pray your blessing over them. We pray peace over them. We pray that we will learn to love everyone like we love you and like you've called us to love you. And finally, God, we pray for our own peace and peace within ourselves. May you bless us and keep us. May your face shine towards us. May you give us grace 
and may you give us peace. Help us, God, to do this big, big task to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For the 40 days of Lent, we will not be taking communion. Again, just as preparation for Easter. So I invite you to go get the kiddos and then join us for worshiping, for more worship through song.